Let me get behind these speakers before I say anything. I should have been standing up here already, but I was enjoying that just a little tiny bit too much. Welcome to the vineyard. <laughs> uh, out of the house. What about that? I, uh, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, so every once in a while I hear something somewhere and, and it just strikes in my head and says, you know, that would go great with this scripture over here. And it's like we were doing or we're doing this series on Nehemiah. And let me just calm down because they actually have a volume knob there at the sound booth. I get pretty wound up when I'm outside, and that's okay, but let, let's just do this thing. The idea is, that, you know, Paul said, I've become all things to all men so that by all means I might win some. And so, you know, as we gather together, there's a good chance that sooner or later I might snatch something out that will just plant something inside of your head. And my hope and my prayer is going to be that what you're going to put inside of your head is this prayer that Nehemiah prays to God as we go into this sermon series about the trouble in the rubble or God's rebuilding our lives from when it's gone crash or whatever that might be going on. I hope the next time you're driving in the car and you're not listening to Caleb or something and you've got whatever you do listen to on and all of a sudden twisted sister comes on you go oh yeah that's right nehemiah 1 5 that's that's what that sermon was about when we were listening to that out in the park and and i'm excited to be thinking that that might actually happen in your life and that will be a good thing well let me just read this uh scripture for you so that we can get into um the message this morning we're doing this series out of Nehemiah. If you've not been with us, we launched it last week. And the whole idea here is that there might be something in your life. There might be some area, some things, some whatever it might be um, that just feels like it's kind of been destroyed. It's been wrecked. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a wayward child. Maybe it's uh, what you thought was going to be your career for the rest of your life. Maybe it was um, where you thought you would live. Or, or maybe it's uh, the loss of some loved ones in your life. And it's just absolutely brought your life to a place, not where you can't exist and move forward, but you're just asking yourself, God, where are you? Why did you let it get to this? How come you're not intervening in our situation right now? And we're looking at the idea that uh, Israel forsook God, uh, ignored God, ignored the covenant that they had with God, ignored the promises of God. And as a result of that, the Lord had allowed um, um, Babylon to attack them and, and siege them and haul them off. And so we've got a nation living in exile of itself and God was promising great and wonderful things for them and they're at the place of saying God's abandoned us and we live in a world where there's a lot of people that that they wake up and that's the way they feel and I don't know if that's the way you feel today but I'm just inviting all of us to look at a place in our lives where we either are saying you know what there's got to be more to life than getting up, going to work, coming home, eating, watching Netflix, and then going to bed. There has got to be more to life than what I'm experiencing right now. And I want to assure you that I believe that there is. Like I said before, I was not raised in a Christian home, but uh, came to find Jesus when I was 17 years old, and, and uh, he has been doing incredible things in my life ever since. And I didn't get saved and say, I want to give my life to Jesus in the ministry. I got saved, and I said, man, I want a 16-foot ski boat. Uh, you know, I, I got saved, and I said, I want to ski down at this lake in Kentucky, because I didn't live in Kentucky, like, you know, every other weekend when I'm not at church. I want to go down there like everybody else. And somewhere in the midst of it all, I fell in love with God from reading the scripture and then I began to say Lord what can I do for you Lord what do you want from me 
And I think that's where Nehemiah is in this passage. I'm going to read from Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. It's Nehemiah's prayer to God, his initial prayer to God. And... uh, um, well, j- just follow along. It's, I was going to say it's going to show up on the screen behind me, but it's not going to. I just want to assure you, if you're standing there going, this is lame. They didn't even bring a screen. How are we going to follow along? Okay, well, if we're outside, we're never going to bring a screen. Okay, just be assured of that. Bring this thing. It's called a Bible. All right, verse 5. Then I said, when he realized all the bad things... Jerusalem is there. People are coming back there in a bad way, and the gates of Jerusalem are burned down. The walls are crashed. He said, then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ears be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. And I, I love this part right here. I confess the sins we, not those, I confess the sins that we Israelites, including myself and my father's household. He's not leaving himself or his family out of it. He's willing to come to God and say, look, I have done an assessment and it is not good. Okay? We have acted very wickedly toward you, God. We've not obeyed your commands, your decrees and laws that you gave your servant Moses. And, he's, and he tells God, remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations, which is where they find themselves at this point. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. He's saying, I will bring them back to Jerusalem. They will come back, even so. And so he goes on now to say, he's, he's going back to his prayer. He's saying, these are your servants, your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. He's talking about the king. In the presence of this man. And, and I don't know why he ends it this way. I really don't. But he says, I was cupbearer to the king. He goes on and he prays all that as he begins to write this thing. And he says, let me tell you what my job was. I was cupbearer to the king. So we know what Nehemiah is. He's a cupbearer. And I'm going to be honest with you. What is a cupbearer? And I would dare that some of you right here right now are saying, well, he's the guy that takes a drink before the king takes a drink. (laughs) That's funny. That's funny. Can you imagine passing your cup to somebody who's going to slobber in your glass of wine and then they give it back and say, go ahead and drink some? It's like, that's nasty. But that's not the whole story. You know, when one of our children was young, he got invited to be a part of a wedding. I know my wife has used this illustration before, but he was invited to be the ring bearer. And he was so excited that he got to be the ring bearer. And so for a couple of weeks ahead of the wedding, he, he, as it got closer, he got, kept getting more excited, more excited. He's going to be the ring bearer. And then we got to the wedding, and he was all dressed up, and he was looking good, and, and you know, we were going to do his thing, and somebody handed him a pillow with some rings on it. And they said, here, and he said, why do I need this? And they said, because you're the ring bearer. And he said, well, where's my costume? And we said, what costume? He said, my bear costume. Where's my bear costume? I'm the ring bearer. 
You know, sometimes we, we, we read this scripture and, and we read um, Nehemiah and he says, I was cupbearer to the king. And we think, oh yeah, he just had to take a sip before the king. And that's not what it is at all. Okay? It includes a little bit of that, believe it or not. But I was doing a little bit of research because that's what I do when I want to share something with you. And in, uh, in gotquestions.org it says, historically a cupbearer was a high-ranking official. Not just some peon drinking out of the cup before the king does. A high-ranking official in charge of serving the king. So his right-hand man. It was primarily the responsibility of the cupbearer to serve wine to the whole royal table, to everybody. Okay? And since kings are concerned about plots to poison them, cupbearers had to guard the cup carefully. They would make sure nobody touched the cup before they handed it to the king. They didn't have to drink out of it. But it goes on to say sometimes they would, in fact, taste the wine before the king did to ensure that it was safe. Due to the responsibility, this is the important part that we know going into Nehemiah, due to the responsibility of the position, a cup bearer had to be trustworthy and loyal. A cup bearer had the king's confidence and because of his character was able to exert influence in the royal court. And so we see this understanding of what a cup bearer is and it's somebody that the king abjectly and absolutely trusts. You know, the role of cupbearer first shows up in Genesis chapter 40 in Joseph's story, and Pharaoh had a cupbearer. And Joseph was in prison with him. And he told the cupbearer, this is your dream, and you are about to be reunited with the king, and you're going to get your position back because the cupbearer ended up in prison with Joseph. And he said, when you get to the king, remember me. Because Joseph even then was saying, we recognize that the cup bearer is not just somebody who takes a drink, but who, who exercises incredible influence over the king. And that's who Nehemiah was. So we see the close relationship with, with King Artaxerxes and, and Nehemiah that allowed to, to him to eventually arise to become governor of the uh, Persian province of Judah after 44. 444 BC. So Nehemiah is begging God to give him favor with the king and then he acts on it because here's the deal and this is where I really want to be because Nehemiah is done being the victim. He's done being the victim. How long do you want to live like the victim? How long do you want to tell people that your present circumstances are everybody else's fault or outside of your ability to do something about it or this is just the, the way that um, life came to you or these are, what is it we say? These are the cards dealt to you. What that usually is is your way of saying, I don't want to do the work that it takes to see my life change. I just want it to change because too many of us go through life and we think that planning is a sin when the fact of the matter is God is saying, go ahead and make plans. Set your, your life on God and he'll give you the desire of your heart, it says in Psalm 37. But you've got to begin by delighting yourself in the Lord and then allow him to affect the desire of your heart. And so we have this picture of what's going on here. And, and our takeaway from, from Nehemiah is that, you know, there's got to be a place where you come and you decide that you're done being the victim, you're done being conquered, and you're done being owned. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. Nehemiah came to this place 40 years after Ezra did. 
Ezra had attempted to rebuild the wall. We shared that last week. And, uh, and the king shut him down because the governors around him um, gave a bad report. And so things went south. And so he, he didn't get to do it. Forty years later, Nehemiah is given the opportunity to go into the presence of a king. And walking into the presence of a king is a big deal. You just didn't get to walk in. You had to have somebody come out and tell you, were you allowed to go in there? Um, read the story of Esther. Esther could not just walk into the presence of the king without being summoned. And so there is that situation going on. So we look at Nehemiah's life and we say, Nehemiah, what can we learn? Nehemiah's story is a great story. And it's thousands of years old, and that's awesome. But, I mean, without being, um, you know, disrespectful to God, who cares? It was thousands of years ago. What does it have to do with you and I? I think it has to do with this. You and I live our lives every day, and there's always things in our lives that have come to, to the rubble. And, and we're wondering, when is God going to fix it? And God is saying, I'm waiting on you. I'm literally waiting on you to decide that you have had enough. And the fact of the matter is, Nehemiah got to that place where he cried out, he prayed, he mourned, he fasted, and he finally said, you know what? All of that's good, but then you have to just, you got to do something. And so I was looking at Nehemiah and, 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 and what he did, just, just kind of heading into the king. And, I, and again, very similar to what I talked about because it's the theme of the book. But at the same time, let me redo this. We do a careful assessment of the situation. What is the rubble in your life that you want to see changed? Assess it correctly. What is the reality? I very, very few times do people walk into my office and tell me the truth. And I don't, I don't say that to be mean to anybody. I'm just saying they walk into my office and they tell me their side of the story. And there's an old proverb that says the first person that talks to you is absolutely right until the second person comes along. See? Because there are two sides, two perspectives to something that has taken place. And more often, we see one side and we're hurt, or we see one side and we get offended for somebody that we love desperately, and we forget to research it out and do it. And if there's ever a time that uh, America has seen that happen, it's on social media starting at the beginning of 2020. We just got inflamed with each other's opinions or at each other's opinions. There comes a time when you have to do an absolute, necessary, careful assessment. Nehemiah repented for God, to God for all of Israel. But I love this part. Because they were not living according to the covenant that they had made. I love this part. But Nehemiah repented for himself and his family. Because he realized that he owned part of that. So when I stop and I look at the, the rubble that's in my life, when I look at the walls being crashed down and the gates being burned up, and I say, God, how did I get here? Often the Lord will say, what I want you to do is go back and look at all the decisions that you made that went absolutely against the way I was encouraging you to live. All the times that we said no to God, and then we wonder, how do we get here? And Nehemiah was willing to look at that. Very rarely are the circumstances we live in the, the result of fate, the cards you're dealt, or even just the way it is. Most of the time, it's, a man, it's, a, it's an, a, 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 the result of the manner in which we responded to something. And I would encourage you to, to, to take that. Now, I know some of you are like, no, you don't understand. You can't do it. Listen, it's okay. Take a deep breath. It's going to be all right, and you can talk to me. You cannot, you cannot send me emails, but you can make an appointment and come talk with me. Often, 
the manner in which we responded to an opportunity, a circumstance, a sinful life choice, whatever it is, is what's bringing us to the place that we are. And so we need to take a good hard look at that, okay? We've got to stop seeing our life, okay? Excuse me, we've got to stop seeing our, our circumstances as a life sentence and instead a lesson to be learned. Even if I'm the one that made all the bad decisions and did everything that brought me here, there is a place to, for me to say, Lord, I failed. And get back up and move forward in the education of those decisions. Can I say that? Stop seeing failure as evil or bad and begin to look at it as educational. It's only evil if we don't learn from it. Other than that, even um, John Maxwell will say, failing is just an educational um, step. If you will fail forward, learn from it, get back up, and then leave it behind you. But too often we don't. We fail and we say, there's nothing I can do about it. It's my circumstances. And it's not true. It's just not true. Do a careful assessment of the rubble that you are bringing before God saying, Lord, I need you to touch it. Number two, what is it that you will have to risk to see your life changed? That one, that one might hurt just a little bit more than the last one, and I'm not trying to hurt you. But stop in your life and ask yourself, if I want to see my goals, what do I have to risk? What do I have to let go of? As a, as a young man, even into high school, I graduated with, I think it's 476 students in high school, and I'll bet there's probably 10 of them that, that know who I am. And that's about it. I was backwards, they say in Kentucky. I'm not from Kentucky, but I was backwards, as they say, shy, quiet, didn't want to talk to people, scared to death of people, and there just came a point in my life, it can take you almost right to the, to the room and the year and the moment and the breath that I took, when I said to myself, do you want to live the rest of your life this way? I was raised in a family with five kids. I was one of five, terrified of people. And it's like, life was not good. It wasn't fun. And I wanted it to change. And the Lord said, then what are you going to do? What are you going to risk? What? And I just said, you know what? Being alone hurts more and is scarier to me than introducing myself to people and meeting them. And that's where I began to make a difference. What will you have to risk to see the rubble that's behind you that you would like to see built back up into a castle in front of you. What are you going to have to risk? Changing jobs? Going back and apologizing to somebody? Finding a little bit of humility? Stop spending the way you're spending? I'm, I'm a big fan of having fun. If you haven't figured that out yet. But my thing is, I, I pick a goal and I just strip all the rest of it away. All of the spending, all of the time, all of the whatever. I give it an appropriate focus, and that's my target. And everything I'm doing is shooting to that target. But see, we don't live that way in all reality. We wake up and we say, well, this is how it came. This is what happened. This is where I am. And it's like, no, no, no. I'm telling you to take a risk. I'm telling you to stop and say, what is it that you want? Set that goal, and now tell me what you're going to have to let go of to reach that goal. And for Jesus, for some people, he'd walk up to and say, listen, I need you to sell everything you've got and come follow me. Give, give to the poor. He didn't say give it all to the poor. He said give to the poor. 
I need you to grow up and be generous. And that guy was like, yeah, I'm not willing to risk that. I'm just here to tell you I was. And I want to encourage you that you can be. And with everybody, it's not money. It's not. It's just that fear. Somebody will say something to you and you'll say, well, there's no way that could happen because I'm this old and it would take all of this. Isn't all of this worth it? What was it Jesus said? There was a man that found a pearl of great price and he went back and sold everything he had and went and bought it. I mean, are you kidding me? I've got a book at my house that I paid $60 for in 1988. I just found it on Amazon for $11,000. I'm not kidding you. I'm trying to decide if it's real, but Amazon's got it for eleven grand. It's like, it was a pearl of great price. I needed the knowledge from the book. I just kept it in mint condition. Aren't there other things in our lives that are more important than a book and 11 grand? You're wanting God to do a big move, but you're not willing to risk yourself. You're not going to risk worshiping. You're not going to risk getting committed to a church. You're not going to risk serving. You're not going to risk talking to people at work. You're not going to, that would make you feel foolish. So, so all you're saying is, I, I won't risk feeling foolish. Really? Is that too much compared to what the disciples had? We get into routines that we love because they make us comfortable. We like that. But the problem is those routines become ruts and start to rob us of joy. They do. And then we can't get out without taking serious risks. Risks aren't bad. Somebody's lied to you and said, don't do that. And I'm saying invest everything you had in seeing that goal, that dream come true or whatever it is the Lord's asking of you. Because risks are nothing more than experiences that build you up one way or another for the next chapter of your life. Your granny used to say, nothing ventured, nothing gained. But we keep sitting back waiting for God to just crash in the front door and dump it all in our lap. And we say, Lord, why aren't you doing that? And the Lord says, I'm waiting on you. How serious are you? Ready to go in and see the king about it? The last thing is, sooner or later, you've got to act. Sooner or later, like this opening song, you've got to say, you know what, I'm done. I'm not taking this anymore. And it's, I'm not talking about we've got to get ugly and nasty with people. I'm just seeing we, saying we've got to develop an attitude that says, this is not what I have to live with. This is not the way I have to live. This is not the way it has to be for the next 20, 30, 40, or 60 years of my life. It can be better. It can be amazing. It can be awesome. But it has to start with Jesus. And if it doesn't start with Jesus, it's not going to make any sense at all. Because even Nehemiah was saying, how can I let the house of God, the city of God, be in this condition and still live my life? And there's got to be a place in your life where you say, Lord, there's got to be more than this. And God says, yeah, there is. Come and join my kingdom. Come and admit like Nehemiah did that you're a sinner and you've broken covenant with God. Come and admit to God that you need him if things are going to move forward. But when you do that, you can stay on your knees and pray and fast for, for 40 days like Jesus did. But sooner or later, you have to get up from your knees. And that risk will come out in the manner in which you act now. Are you still going to run with the negative voices? Are you going to still listen to all those people pouring crap into your head? Is that who you're going to run with from now on? 
Are you still going to walk into a job that you absolutely hate without saying, hey, if I finished out my college education or got a college education or took the next step, I might be able to find a better job? Because we like security. And the idea of having something that we can't imagine yet or letting go of something that's comfortable for us, we'll, we'll choose comfort every single time. We will. And that's difficult. In our story, Nehemiah came to God with his heart in his hand. But you can only sit for so long. Nehemiah was crying out to God so that God would give him the courage to act on God's behalf, not on his own behalf, in God's manner. And that he would find favor with King Artaxerxes. Nehemiah risked his influence and his life and his job by walking into the king's presence and making a big ask. Making a big ask. He was going in there and saying, I won't be around for the next couple of months to drink from your cup. Will you please let me go to Jerusalem and see what's really there? It's a big ask. But God, I'm making the ask. I'm making it. I need you to give me favor with the king. And I love that later on when he walks into king's presence, the king says, Nehemiah, what do you want? And it says, and Nehemiah prayed to God real fast, real hard, and then made the big ask. He was still scared, but he was still risking it all because he knew it would be worth it. There are a lot of people in your lives that are willing to tell you all the problems that they have. They'll tell you all the excuses that things can never change or be different. All the causes of why things are way of the way that they are. They will, this is my quote for you today, they will trumpet fear like it is a worship song of their life when in all actuality it has become their identity. And that's not where I want to sit. I'm not interested in sitting in Babylon while I see Jerusalem in, in rubble. I'm not interested in sitting in this world while I see the struggle that my life has become because of my life choices. I am willing to get up and say, Lord, whatever it takes, a sword in this hand and a rock in this one, but I want to see change. And you can do whatever you want to me to make it happen. Sooner or later, you have to decide that enough is enough and you have to move forward. Never look back, ever because that's not the direction you're going. You're going forward. Ask for help. Stop living as a victim. Get the education. These are just things the Holy Spirit told me to write in a list. Move, move. Geographically, pack up and move. Go to a counselor. Believe that God has more belief in you than you do. Believe. Let go of the past. You're not going that direction. And finally, forgive the sinner. Somebody sinned against you. Forgive the sinner. By not forgiving the sinner, you're staying there. There's an anchor that keeps you locked in there. And forgiving the sinner means you might have to go look him in the eye. 
Forgiving the sinner means you might have to sit down with three or four people and sit down and just work some things through. Forgiving the sinner means you do something. It doesn't mean your relationship to them is going to change. It doesn't mean they're going to say what you want to hear. It means you have gone, you have brought it up, you have sat in their presence. Now walk away, but let them go because you're not anchored in that part of your life any longer. That's what God wants for you. This only makes sense when you're walking with Jesus. When you've experienced the blood of Jesus Christ, not just to forgive you for your sins, but to transform you so that the old is gone and the new has come. And then the new is on a journey to continue to change. Continue. If you've stopped changing, you're going backwards. You're not in a stalemate. There is none. You're getting further and further back. What are you doing to continue to move forward? Let's come to the Lord in a word of prayer. Fathers, we come before you. We thank you for today. We thank you for the story of Nehemiah. We thank you for his big ask. We thank you for his willingness to go into the presence of King and just lay out the desires of his heart. As he delighted himself in you, he went to the king. And as a result of that, you gave him a, a role that he never dreamed of having, God, to be the governor of the province. But at the same time, Lord, we recognize that while that wasn't his plan, you were grooming him for that. And so many people here, God, are sitting and waiting on you when you've asked them to step up and they won't. We have all the excuses. And so like Nehemiah, God, if I may intercede. For me, God, I ask you to forgive me for my sins. For the times that I have not been faithful to you as a pastor, as, as a father, as a husband, as a Christian. And then I lift up this congregation, God, because we are caught up in a world that screams and hollers and steals our attention away from you. Forgive us as we stand before you, God, as we sit before you. And I ask and pray that you would just let your spirit affect us, infect us and bring us to the place of repentance, that we might get up clean, that we might get up bold, that we might get up strong, and that we might be willing to fill that church up, God. To expand the number that are sitting right here because we know somebody that needs to know the hope that we actually have. Fall upon us, Holy Spirit, in a big way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.